Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Modern Guilt, episode 41. Uh, We're recording this before we've even put out episode 40 because I forgot that it existed somewhere in the ether and that it needed to be edited and dealt with. So uh, that's coming. So is this one. (laughs) Then in two days from now, we're going to be recording our monthly exclusive episode where we're going to be looking at a couple of defense companies and uh, stocks for those. Um, if you want to check that out, you can go to Patreon forward slash Modern Guilt, pay us five US dollars and uh, enjoy the fruits of our labor. Um, yep. So it is 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning in Brisbane, midday in New Zealand. Um, and uh, yeah, we're kind of, we, we had a long chat before we even started recording. So I feel like we're pretty warmed up. What do yeah. you think? Well, your yeah, vocal big... cords feeling nice and flexible. Uh, yep. Especially off the back of bitching about the man and bitching about life mm-hmm. and bitching about yeah. everything because it's fucking. It's it was Monday and now it's now it's Tuesday and that sucks yes. ass and apparently so does everything else. But <laughs> it's not so bad. There's always a bit of optimism, you know. Yeah, or at least for our <laughs> listeners, um, who know that there's always more modern guilt around the corner. Yeah. Something that I forgot to mention before we started recording is that um, Michael Hudson has invited us on his radio show in June if you find your way to Australian soil. So live Modern Guilt at 8 crossover special. Fuck yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah, That'd be mad, right? Cool. That'd be very exciting. That's the plan. So yeah, li- uh, listeners, friend of the pod, Michael Hudson, uh, hosts a great little independent radio show on a station called Four Triple Z in Brisbane, Australia. Here, called At Eight, uh, where he highlights a lot of, well, a combination of um, up and coming, but also well established artists. And it's very much, you know, like a curatorial show. His his taste is pretty um, spectacular. I think he um, reminds me of like a young Zane Lowe. Like he just has a real like I don't know knack for finding these outstanding artists from like bizarre corners of uh the music world um and getting them on the show so that's cool um so yeah hopefully we wind up there and we can uh talk some shit with him play some music it's uh the dolce vita that's the good life that's pretty much all there is <laughs> you know yeah 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 speaking of uh <laughs> rare modern guilt sightings or appearances <laughs> big shout out to a friend of the pod sam who um so generously offered his home as a venue in California if we ever find ourselves on tour. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Shut outstanding. Up. He's like, yeah, like I spoke to my wife about the podcast and um, <laughs> we've had like some some gigs in our house before. So we wanted to just let you know that if you're ever in the States, you can do like a an event. Well, this one is fucking cool. That's fucking cool. We appreciate that. Uh, should we make our way to your beautiful country? Then we would like to stay with you and your wife uh yes why not that'd be fun but um shout out to sam as well actually because that's i i got uh drunk last night um which i was quite pleased about <laughs> because whenever that happens I, I generally think it's a good time you know it's, it only happens a couple times a week but when it does it's it's all all good and all i was up, actually Danny. chatting to people about the price of lumber <laughs> which i guess is kind of <laughs> a recurring theme now <laughs> um and i found out some really fucking interesting intel uh oh okay fucking spill it well okay so apparently there's this like 
massive lumber shortage going on. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, one of the uh, big companies here, Cardahol Harvey, um, has been primarily selling the bulk of the lumber to China, right? And China's Mm -hmm. been fucking sort of lapping it all up and everything, and this has been causing like a big spike in the um, price of lumber because because of COVID, there hasn't been enough people sort of cutting down trees or whatever, and, and it's all just been a bit of a shit show. But there's also these big infrastructure spends. So there's such, bleh, there's a sudden demand for timber um, that is not really going to get fulfilled very easily. But also mm-hmm. there's like, uh, someone was fucking telling me at the RSA, uh, which is our Return Services Association for you, Yanks, um, uh, which I guess, I don't know if you have a reference for that. It's basically where, it, like historically, it was where veterans go to get shit-faced. And now it's just where like people who aren't fuckwits go to get shit faced. So, <laughs> well, some of them maybe are, but I doesn't change to those people. So, there's this big building push in New Zealand, which is causing a bit of a drama because we don't actually have the required timber to sort of like make affordable houses because there's this fucking timber shortage. And with the states doing the same thing, I think it's actually potentially causing like right, you know I don't want to say short squeeze, but you know it's like squeezing the price way the fuck up because there's just a timber shortage. So the price of lumber, Sam, yeah, we'll monitor anyone that. else who's fucking interested, <laughs> is actually something worth looking at. I was also tipped on to cobalt. I haven't got a huge amount to say about it other than we'll fucking keep an eye on that as well. But these commodity shortages um, coming off the back of the pandemic, it's fucking fascinating how it's going to play out. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the New Zealand housing market's completely fucked, basically, um, already, not even considering the input shortages that go into building a house like lumber so you know i think lumber is particularly interesting as well because it's not something that a group of people can just turn around and make more of like you know mm. that's a it's a 40-year game yeah growing a fucking tree yeah, <laughs> like, um, i've actually like i can't remember where or when i met these dudes but i once had a conversation with these guys who were investing in trees yeah and they were just like yeah like it's you know, a 30 year wait to get return on your investment, but like, God, is it worth it? And it's just like, Jesus, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it it's, it's, it's so fascinating to think that like someone has to grow trees to, That's to the chop down. Edge, uh, you're just fucking edging for 30 years and then you finally get to release. Yeah. Um, um, but, sort of but that's the thing. Like, so, you know, uh, cobalt, steel, etc. Mm. a lot of, a lot of minerals or, or commodities, can be sort of produced with like a shortish turnaround you know like you yeah. could there's a world in which sure like it's not ideal but yes you can build an iron mine get it out of the ground say maybe three years at like an absolute oh, stretch get the fucking pickaxe, um, mate. yeah 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 so as you know you can rectify most of these shortages like they're doing that with microchips in the united states already yep. um and Sorry, not microchips, semiconductors. Um, are they the same thing? They probably are. Uh, I don't know. Semiconductors are in microchips. I'm pretty retarded, but... Yeah, um, whatever. Yeah, um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, lumber. It's a shame that um, we weren't already, like, in some lumber well, companies. Might not uh, be too late. Rumors around the RSA may be, um, be a little bit, you know, ahead of the media, I think. I haven't read mm. much about this. Granted, I haven't gone looking for it, so I don't know. Yeah. But I, I will be personally looking into this more. Yeah. Um, There's definitely um definitely I, lumber lumber banter on Reddit around around the show. Is it? Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, particularly okay. in uh, 
Actually, I'm not even going to say the subreddit because I don't want to give away the secret sauce. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, fuck, people are starting to clue into it. But, I mean, that's always the way. Like, you know. Starting to, yeah. Um, yeah. It's information travels pretty fast nowadays. Well, it, yeah. It's definitely worth keeping an eye on anyway. I think there's going to be some interesting plays to, like, look at there. Um, mm. We caught sight of another one. Um, the courtesy of a newsletter that we receive on uh, the Peruvian mining um, copper, copper, whatever. Yeah, no, that uh, that was interesting. <laughs> so um, I can't away. even remember. Can't even remember the name of that company now. So you can fill in the blank for me. But essentially, CCO is the ticker. There you go. Yeah. Um, that that company's um, looks like a uh, prospective short play for for some based on um the either approval or disapproval of some new copper mines in colombia which are largely going to be hinging on oh sorry sorry yes um peru is, is what i meant to say uh which will largely hinge on an upcoming election um in so the the leading candidate well actually three out of the four candidates running uh want to nationalize the copper mines in peru um understandably so uh so basically there's sort of a three and four chance that this company that has put a lot of cash into these mines in peru is going to end up fucking itself mm. um unless they can somehow pull out all the stops to get their man elected which i wouldn't be surprised at because um we've we've looked uh at in the past the way that uh large energy corporations meddle in the political affairs of latin american countries to have their way uh, we looked at uh, a scenario that unfolded in in Bolivia uh, late last year, early uh, might have even been early twenty twenty one. Yeah, but that was an interesting one. You might be able to go back and find it in the vaults if you are so inclined. Yeah, so um, keeping an eye on it. Hey, um, the leading candidate. I think I just read a thing. I sent it to Hayden like earlier that he's starting to take control whole election. So these motherfuckers haven't dropped too much. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of like shorting companies because I don't like unlimited risk. But buying some puts, gonna look at buying some puts. Yeah, I can see what happens there. Not Plus, bad. it's just funny because fuck, fuck these guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are other things coming to a head uh, in the world at the moment. Yeah. Namely, around the Russian border, where they've uh, repositioned 100,000 troops uh, right on the border from. The Ukraine. Right. Um, so in in Crimea, which Russia annexed from from the Ukraine in 2014, if I am correct, maybe it was 2015. Right, um, they, about that, yeah. <laughs> they've yeah, I mean, most of the world did. It's funny the way these things happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Russia constructed an enormous uh, bridge connecting the Russian mainland to Crimea because um, the the Black Sea is between, or part of the Black Sea is between mainland Russia and Crimea. Yeah. Um, so it means that they can now rotate troops in and out of um, Crimea with ease. Um, prior to that, the Ukraine was literally right between um, those two territories. So there's a huge troop buildup happening on uh, the Ukraine's eastern border um, and in Crimea, which for listeners, if you can, if you imagine uh, the Ukraine is sort of a roughly rectangle shape, um, they share their, their eastern border, which would be the right hand end of the rectangle with Russia uh, and Crimea is positioned close to the bottom left corner uh, or the southwestern corner of the rectangle that is Ukraine. Yeah. Um, 
in the east of the Ukraine, there's a, uh, a Russian separatist movement, um, which has been the one of the causes of the ongoing conflict in the Ukraine, um, dating back to 2013 or 14, when the violence first erupted. Um, the, the conflict there began um, as an attempt to oust uh, who was widely viewed as a dictator. Um, there was a popular uprising in Kiev and some other more metropolitan cities and uh, some, some already present factions in eastern Ukraine um, were then provided with more support, weapons, um, logistical support by Russia who then started funneling uh, mercenaries into the region to try and form this break-off state um, and the same thing was happening in Crimea. Uh, so Russia broke off Crimea as a little uh, little nugget, little prize and then yeah. I think I think probably intentionally um, left a little bit on the table in terms of this territory in the east of the Ukraine so they had that as something to swoop in on later because um, yeah. in the east this conflict has just been simmering on low heat for the last sort of three or four years, um, but has recently started to get bloody again. Um, so that's quite interesting. Um, the United States have sent um, two, I believe, aircraft carriers to the Black Sea, mm. um, which is a big dick move that is normally reserved that for uh, rare move. occasions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Biden has, well, the Biden administration, I should say, because, um, you know, Biden's saying the words, but probably not thinking them. Um, yeah. <laughs> has, have have not uh, like haven't said that they will retaliate um, upon any Russian attack in the, in the Ukraine, but have warned of the quote costs. Um, so oh, you can that, read into that what you like. That is so much more disturbing to me than like um, Trump tweets. Of, yeah, you know, no, I agree. Fury. That's just like oh god damn. Mm. Yeah. So um. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the strategic importance of the Ukraine before um, expanding and connecting this to some other areas. Um, so I don't know how, like, I don't know, geopolitically minded our audience is. I think they'd be somewhat up with the play, but yeah. for those who aren't, I'll just cover the basics. Well, so I'm not, so holla. You know. Well, all right, there you yeah. go. Dude, you're um, my one and only source of geopolitical news. So. Beautiful. Oh, that's, a, <laughs> that's an honor. I'm pleased to have that position in your life. Um, but the Ukraine acts as a really important uh, buffer between NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, uh, and Russia and their sphere of influence in the former Soviet states. Um, yeah. Now, a lot of parties in the Ukraine have been wanting to join NATO um, to, to f get access to that security guarantee against Russia. Um, but it's in the interests of a lot of the European states who are a part of NATO for the Ukraine to actually remain there as that buffer because they depend so greatly on Russian energy exports um, for their Oil. stability and gas. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of really important, um, huge scale um, pipeline projects in the works at the moment, running from the northwest of Russia through the Baltic Sea into northern Germany and I think maybe Denmark. Um, so, and as we all know, Russia is essentially a petro state. They rely so much on the export of fossil fuels to prop up their economy. So essentially we have this thing where while Russia wants to, to take chunks out of the Ukraine and annex that territory and, and, and grow Russia and their power in the region, if, if the Western states were to accept the Ukraine into their, their alliance or their security agreements, they would be bound to respond to these acts of Russian aggression and then would 
jeopardize their own energy security. Mm. Um, so the Ukraine is literally between a rock and a hard place. Or I, I just did that thing where people say literally in a situation in which it's not literal, which drives me nuts because they're not, not literally between a rock and a hard place. They're between two competing spheres of influence, but whatever. Um, so so um, Russia have a really short window now to act on their ambitions in the Ukraine because as these European states are pivoting towards greater dependence on renewables, then Russia will lose its leverage in terms of its uh, fossil fuel exports to the Western states. So there's probably maybe like a 15 to 20 year timeline where Russia can can keep making these aggressive moves, gobble up as much of the Ukraine and some of the surrounding territories before the before NATO could conceivably push back against them because uh, they will, you know, you could argue will no longer depend on Russian gas in 20 years from now. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a race against the clock. Now, interestingly, at the same time as Russia is building up its position outside of the Ukraine um, and is puffing out its chest, China is conducting the same sort of activities in the South China Sea around the Philippines and Taiwan. Um, you could make the argument and I think I'm correct about this, is that the pandemic and all of the recent turmoil in the United States over the last 12 to 18 months is being used as a cover for China and Russia to discuss how they're going to spread American and Western uh, attention thin enough that they can both start uh, moving in on their own sort of territorial ambitions. Um, We all know that the United States has the most dominant navy in the world, um, and they're hugely dependent on their ability for their aircraft carriers to, um, to, to give them power projection, which, you know, that's the reason that they can so easily fight conflicts in the Middle East. Uh, all they have to do is park some aircraft carriers nearby and then they have air, air dominance. Um, but as soon as you start to, to water down the, the American Navy, you have some have to be in the home territories. If you have some hanging around the South China Sea, you have a couple of aircraft carriers in the Black Sea. And then they also like to always have some around um, the Persian Gulf uh, or the Eastern Mediterranean. Their position's starting to look a little bit less stable. And China has recently been breaching Taiwanese airspace. Mm, um, I've been hearing that. Yep. They, have a, they sent a fleet of 200 ships into the Philippine Sea. Um, they... Uh, called it, according to official record, a uh, fishing fleet, but then, <laughs> but then were um, like carrying out like light attacks on Filipino ships. Yeah. Um, what? There were no like what? fatalities, but they were like pursuing them or driving them away, like interrupting their freedom of navigation, etc. Um, oh, that's fucking... Yeah. Jesus. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think Russia and China both recognize that they have uh, a limp-wristed opponent in Biden right now. Yep. who is like 100% distracted by some of the the enormous demands being placed on him right now by the US populace. Um, they see the United States being swept up in a in a wave of wokeism, uh, anti-conflict uh, rhetoric, yep. and this infrastructure bill is going to be putting, and the economic recovery more broadly, is going to be putting enormous strain on the United States administration to, to manage that. Um, I think the United States has never been less ready to to fight a conflict oh, um, no, no, no. both in terms of their their physical capabilities and also popular support um so i mean for a long time you know hawks have been talking about the chinese threat um the chi- china has been expanding their blue water naval capacities 
Um, we all know, I mean, um, many know about um, recent Chinese attempts to create uh, air and naval bases in the South China Sea, mm -hmm. like deep into their territorial waters, uh, which give them the capacity to, to strike the Philippines, most of Southeast Asia, Japan, uh, and I think even Guam. Um, you have a, a bulldog and an X-Factor in North Korea who keeps firing missiles into the fucking sea. <laughs> He's just like your wasted friend at the party that won't stop doing shots. Yeah. And you take him out into the backyard and you push him over onto the lawn and you're like, fucking go to sleep, motherfucker. You're done for the day. And like, everybody's ass. Yeah, for a while yeah. they like pass out in the bush but wake up later and they're just breaking something. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of... There's geopolitical tension slowly, slowly coming to the fore right now, uh. which is... It's really nervous. taking a back seat. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it is nerve wracking, um, particularly um, because of the way that Russia conducts these asymmetric conflicts. Um, they they do everything uh, just subtly enough to maintain a sort of level of sort of plausible deniability, um, mm. which I, I think they're still going to probably maintain. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, fascinating stuff. On a, on a, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you, you gotta like wonder where's the fucking end game. So if anybody hadn't um, listened to this episode that we did like fucking ages ago, uh, I'm gonna reiterate that it's. I think it's worth everybody's time watching Threads. You know, <laughs> um, I've got Hayden to watch it, and he might hate me for it, but you know, it's important. Uh, <laughs> yeah no that's a um, soul-crushing film man yeah well i mean it's it's because like where, where does this end up like all of these nations have huge amounts of nuclear stockpiles you know and um nuclear warfare is just a potential outcome that you have to consider within all of this and you could oh they'll never do that it only takes one you know what i mean like it yeah takes, yeah yeah all it takes is your drunk friend that keeps breaking things to just hit the button exactly and then the clusterfuck can occur. And that's like legit an extinction uh, level fucking scenario. Mm. Um, like I've typically been, I've historically kind of been of the position that Western concerns about the North Korean regime, like gaining nuclear warheads have been like overblown and that it's largely been like a sort of ideological thing. But as this starts to play out, I'm now considering the possibility that North Korea only needs to fire one nuke mm. and then game theory takes over so mm. as we know um north korea and the ccp are allied with one another um yep. and you can imagine one north korean nuke striking like guam or japan or a, an american ally in this in southeast asia or maybe hawaii is obviously catastrophic and tragic but that's not in itself uh a, a, a an end you know that's that's one um relatively small thing but if the United States act on the assumption that uh, China is ready to support the North Koreans, like mm. right from the jump, then they'll preemptively strike Chinese targets. China will fire nukes, uh, and then I think Russia has to jump on board. And then it's that's that's when it that's the yeah. end of the world. Yeah. Well, then then we uh, we become the dreaded planet of the apes. You know. So it's, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a fucking nightmare, right? Uh, like all of that stuff coming out is I don't know. It's, it's uh, hopefully results in nothing more than a bit of um, spats here and there. But I, I remember around the time the Russian Crimea conflict was kicking off, I was watching this talk and there's this fucking obnoxious idiot. Um, or maybe he's right. Maybe I'm the obnoxious <laughs> idiot. I probably, probably a little bit of both, but yeah, a bit of both. <laughs> um, he was going on and he's like, Oh no, we never have conflict anymore because we live in the time of hedge funds, you know, and hedge funds are multinational. And 
and everything. Oh, and, and they run the world. And, you know, like, it just could never happen. could never happen. And I just think, like, uh, I, one, was hearing the logic, but um, I'm not sure if he's correct. I think that... Go and tell that to six million Syrians still living in refugee camps. Well, yeah, that as well. Let's look at the economic warfare playing out, right? With tariffs on Chinese companies and shit. Like, we're definitely not that interconnected that we would not have, like, global scale conflict is, you know, still on the table because we don't live in the time of um, Goldman Sachs or Exxon running the world. They're very much American, uh, which is a nightmare. So, yeah, that's that's really interesting. <laughs> um, I, I've always kind of hated that theory as well i think it comes across as really um pretty uh pretty obnoxious pretty um arrogant trying to come up with the right word now yeah pretty arrogant (laughs) and um it's it's like an argument of like i think that happens in like elitist circles well yes so it does and uh (laughs) this this is um the thing that they all seem to be missing is we might not be living in the time of um, multinationals that have created a peaceful landscape for us all to exist in by virtue of the fact that they're running every single country. But we are living the time where I think elites are going to be fucking um, uh, imploding by the worthlessness that they've created, you know, mm-hmm. primarily through degrees, if I can use that as a segue. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, the obnoxious asshole that was espousing this fucking view, um, that, you know, everything's all gravy because we have, uh, allowed like, you know, uh, powerful oligopolies to basically, um, abs- uh, you know, what's, it, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, assert, that's it. Assert their will over the rest of us is not true. Um, however, there was an Atlantic article that I literally read five minutes before this podcast started uh, called Misfortune of Graduating in 2020. And this is sort of like a recurring theme that we've talked about a lot, but um, beginning to start to see it play out that as, as, effectively is talking about how all of these degrees are starting to expire worthless, um, which... Much like our options. Much like our <laughs> options. <laughs> Someone go buy some sue, please. <laughs> Just fill your fucking car up with good old Canadian gasoline for me because I am getting fucked right now. But um, yeah, so Michael Berry and a bunch of other people have talked about like hyperinflation within degrees and like the biggest, um, there was another guy from the big short, I can't remember what his name was, but he was talking about how the, the biggest bubble is the student loan bubble. And I've heard that quite a lot, you know, but it's not something that I was like, well, yeah, okay, maybe, but how is that even going to fucking pop? You know, like, like who are you shorting? What's the deal? How does how does that come to a fucking head? But it's becoming a little bit more apparent. Um, so this article is effectively talking about there is 3.7 million high school diplomas, 1 million associate degrees, and 2 million bachelor degrees, and they will all be graduating around 2020 right um that's a lot of fucking people that are a fuckload of people man that's no shortage um and part of the unfortunate timing of these unfortunate people is that they're graduating into one of the worst labor markets um recorded now this article was put out in may 2020 may the 22nd 2020 it wasn't a particularly rosy time i think and i think the economy sort of like rebounded back then but uh the article effectively goes on to state that 
there's like very few job opportunities and these people are going to get completely fucked. Um, and the narrative changed a little bit because, you know, now we have um, our Lord and Savior, uh, Biden in power, um, who's here to fucking give us all good, hard, you know, green jobs and uh, we can all work at the Pentagon or whatever. Um, but but that's not the reality. It's just fucking come out. So um, as the article goes on, it basically talks about the fact that like uh, it, within job sites like ZipRecruiter and whatnot, entry level jobs for college graduates have fallen seventy three fucking percent and have barely recovered. You know, um, and did you say seventy three percent? Seventy three. 73 yeah that's like mm. close to a hundred <laughs> yeah. if i can if i can just chime in here as well and like just add one of my own personal observations yes is that i think um that this has been or the, this problem is being exacerbated as well by like the nature of remote work mm. um because i think there's this almost like a sort of musical chairs dynamic that has come into play now where as these jobs have become more scarce and remote work has become more desirable, the people who are already in these jobs are far less likely to let them go. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think there's also this like uh, walling off of these sectors like white collar or what what's the term that we sometimes use? Um, Professional managerial class or preferred exactly... thing that I like to call them is yuppies. Which yes, is what they yeah, are. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like I think the nature of remote work um, has had the effect of like further separating these classes or groups of people and mm. siloing off kind of work opportunities. Mm. Um, and like I had an experience where I, I was considering um, taking on some work in a, in a sector where I thought to myself, okay, well, like I'll just um, ingratiate myself with, with this company um, and then consider, you know, moving uh, sideways or upwards once I gain the opportunities. And, uh, I had it pointed out to me by a friend like that my my strategy was flawed because you're one number in a spare room um, <clears throat> doing work that these people don't really I mean they care about the work but they don't care about you you can't form relationships um, yeah so anyway that that's just a little uh well, no, little thing a, that I thought was relevant to that it's uh, beyond relevant it's not even addressed mm. is the problem yeah and it's probably the crux of it is that the bulk of these people have sort of moved into um, beyond the office land into the bedroom unfortunately it's the last yeah, place yeah. you want your fucking job but like right you know unless that's how you make your money and then good on you i guess but anyway that's we'll save the only fans discussion for another time um <laughs> yeah the, the the problem is it's like that that works really well if you uh can benefit from nepotism but it also it removes the any like transparency there was there is now completely opaque because hr can basically just fucking sit behind their like walled you know in their room or whatever and just fucking hit up whoever and plus man the whole hiring process is based out of trust right like you fucking meet someone and you have to verify that they're not fuckwits and you know because we've done away with now getting hired is such a clusterfuck of like having to make a good impression and have this legacy behind you that you were you know the the number one widget maker across you know every top 500 company ever before even getting a graduate role <laughs> is just so part of it that it kind of only leads to nepotism because mm -hmm. the there's been such an erosion of of trust within the whole hiring process i don't know if i'm articulating uh -huh. this the way that i want to no I, you, I think you absolutely are yeah so you know and that's part of what these poor fucks have to deal with is that they like not only are they coming out into um the erosion of an entire sector 
entry-level jobs that have upward mobility, right? Which is gone mm -hmm. because remote work means that you don't actually have to hire people and upskill them anymore. You know, and they say that, but you don't. You you can just sort of like hit up a couple. And, and this is I've uh, I am uh, I wouldn't say I'm a victim of it, but you know, it's something that has um, benefited me once or twice because of the fact that I spend a reasonable portion of my life shit posting, um, you know, and have gained contracts through that process of uh, shit posting loudly. <laughs> and um, also been, uh, I think the majority of the time, people don't even want to fucking know you because you're just another, you're just, you know, one of 2000 people that are like spamming their fucking jobs. Right. So point being the entry level position is effectively dying out. You know, and these college graduates are getting completely fucking reamed because they're just waltzing into a job market that one is no trust. It's a zero trust environment. You know, that you are guilty the moment you walk into the door. You know, you're like a fucking racist serial murder piece of shit that's going to rip off the company accounts and, uh, you know, spam the N-word on the company Twitter account until proven otherwise, which just naturally will lend itself to uh, nepotism, which will naturally benefit the, those who already basically know people in those positions, which happens to be like a, a fucking top section of the economy. So that sucks. Um, <laughs> going on into the article, they talk about basically, uh, which is, again, sort of like a, we're just diving deeper on a theme that has been pushed over and over again in this fantastic podcast that you'll listen to, uh, which is, they talk about basically these people who aren't getting jobs aren't going to be able to go get assets. They aren't going to be able to make money. They aren't going to get the skills to get to the next job or whatever. And they're creating a like um, transient labor class that is just going to be swirling around, uh, you know, not being able to get the required assets to fucking sort of break through to the, the next level of uh, social class or whatever. Which then, um, you know, if we're assuming that that's something that exists, uh, which is really starting to happen at an accelerated rate because of the dramatic decline in these entry-level positions, which, in conclusion, is leading to the worthlessness of degrees that are expiring worthless, like my Sue calls, please go fill your car up with Canadian tar sand oil. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> where I'm leaving obviously that... that... <laughs> so, obviously, this article from The Atlantic is talking about the context of uh, the US... And I uh, linked you an article that I came across just by happenstance recently published by the Sydney Morning Herald, which um, was titled, where are we? The Central Bank Under Fire Has the Reserve Bank of Australia Failed Australians? Um, which is a really interesting overview of um, the world, uh, sorry, the, the Reserve Bank of Australia's policies and how it's impacted the current economic climate right now, particularly as we attempt to recover from the uh, devastation of the pandemic. Um, and one of the things they highlight is um, the absolute stagnation of um, job creation in Australia yep. and how the, the numbers are being fudged. And essentially, we have this situation where I think unemployment is at around 6%, which isn't bad, but it's not great either. Um, and but uh, underemployment is at um, 15%, yeah. meaning, you know, and for those who, who are not familiar with the term, it means that there are people who are technically employed um, based on the way that statistic gatherers define employment. Um, but 
they are either spread them spreading themselves across multiple casual jobs to make up the hours or they just can't get enough hours to begin with um obviously for those who are in these casual positions like hospitality and retail they uh they suffer from not being able to gain access to to sick pay meaning they can't take paid days off when they need to for their health um they obviously gain no annual leave yeah um they they lose out on some of the other benefits as well that come with full-time pay um but even more disturbingly than that is that um, underutilization as opposed to unemployment or underemployment is at around 20%. So mm, right. there's a 20% of people in the workforce are working in positions that they are under, uh, sorry, overqualified for, which is, you know, all of these people graduating with degrees that you referred to, mm-hmm. um, you know, because training is no longer provided in entry level positions. Like you say, you need to be the number one widget maker at all of the 500 largest companies in the world before you can, before you can shuffle paper and make copies uh, and distribute the mail. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating scenario. Um, and, and what's happening now is that you have these in Australia, uh, the federal government has wheeled out the job maker program, which uh, is still bizarrely abstract and non-specific to me maybe someone else can shed some light on why that actually is useful Um, and obviously the the biden infrastructure bill creating a lot of jobs but a lot of jobs that are either it's manual labor or it's construction trade related Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that because as you and i both know we glorify those those sectors and we think that there's there's beauty in that sort of work yeah um, if, if we've young, both done it ourselves if you're young yeah. and you are uh, considering going to get a degree uh have a look at the trades have a yeah look. go and get a fucking trade ask yourself um, why i would say and mm-hmm. deeply ask yourself why because you'll make more money there and you'll have better outcomes and opportunities mm-hmm. and everything it's my so um w- w- i say that to say yeah. <laughs> while there's a lot of bluster about job creation and um you know stimulating the economy there's this there's this um hmm, i'm trying to think of how to describe this anyway there's, there's this thing happening where you know you have a lot of jobs on one end you have a lot of jobs on the other and not a lot in the middle you have a lot of yeah you have a lot of labor a lot of hole digging uh, a lot of manufacturing or not even a lot of manufacturing anymore but a lot of hands-on work um then you have this siloed off um pmc um class on the other end um, <laughs> exactly so yeah interesting scenario well, and that's the problem with yuppie scum is um so this is where they leave you right and this is the the biggest fucking kick in the teeth that mm. i noticed in the article and it's, it's I, I just fucking hate i hate, I hate them i hate them so much but so uh the difficulties these workers are facing are not due to anything that has to do with them von wachter said encouragingly who is a uh fuck is von wachter let me figure that out um all right uh, 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 hold on uh an economist at ucla so you know he's um yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he's in yeah. the trenches yeah yeah so uh exactly and this is this is the advice of these fucking people the difficulties these workers are facing are not due to anything that has to do with them, Von Wachter said encouragingly, but he noted that workers do know, do have agency in trying to make judish, judicious, judicious? judicious and proactive choices. Advice from him and others boils down to be open to job opportunities you hadn't envisioned for yourself. Be open to living somewhere you hadn't planned to. Network hard. Even if no one is going to offer you a job right now, consider volunteering or further down the line, going to grad school uh and fucking hell how out of touch can you be oh if that doesn't make you fucking furious with you know the rage that every good proletariat should have um 
is uh, Max Brooks works at the Career Center of Southern Oregon University. This is another one. When I asked him what guidance he's been giving to graduating seniors lately, he says he's encouraging them to polish their resume, draft cover letters, practice their video interview skills, build out their online professional presence, and take online classes that build the skills their desired employer is working for. So none of this is addressing the fucking complete lack of jobs right like this is, this, is, <laughs> yeah. this is the problem with these fucking people this 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 yuppie scum is that uh that doesn't create jobs that doesn't create opportunities and that doesn't address the fact that they've been sold a worthless degree right which is the ultimate bubble in action like if i go buy more sukols you know i'm not gonna fucking inflate the price because it doesn't exist <laughs> like the opportunity just isn't there i can do it to the fucking end of time you know um and i can tell people to go get canadian gasoline it's not gonna fucking change the outcome because the job is not there fucking underlying thing that you per- have bought is trash and that's the unfortunate yeah. thing and it's just mm-hmm. like that that's all been eroded away so i i feel so bad for this entire group um it's not an American problem. It's a Western problem. It's something that we've seen play out in Australia. It's fucking rampant in New Zealand. You know, we allow the universities allow like two thousand people to fucking go to law school every year. But um, I was actually looking into this. There's uh, less than a hundred jobs for that entire graduating class a year, entry level. You know, it's such a fucking sham. So you're bag holding and you can't get ahead and those jobs don't exist and you should have gone and done a trade but um there's still this fucking popular narrative in schools that trades are bad or you know you go to uni you get ahead in life blah blah blah, it's what everyone does um and then they uh patronize you with um you know meaningless fucking advice like go polish your resume what the fuck is polishing a resume what are you gonna do wipe it down you know you're gonna fucking laminate it (laughs) But what the fuck are you going to polish it with? Because there's no jobs for you to polish it with. You can, like, fluff something, I guess. You can lie. You know, that's always an option. Um, mm-hmm. Probably get you further. But, like, <laughs> even then, it's just, you know, the, these motherfuckers are just so arrogant. Eh? So that's the ultimate bubble. Mm. I don't know how it's going to look. Like, there's there must be an inflection point at some point where, um, because the other side of this uh, is that large companies don't even really give a fuck about degrees anymore. Google hasn't been looking at your degree for years. Microsoft doesn't fucking, you know, like if the largest companies in the world have stopped caring and the only people left are like the dying institutions of, um, you know, decrepit fucking finance companies that you can go slave away for a hundred hours a week on and then make less than if you had just not done that and gone into a trade or something, uh, then what's the fucking point? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Something that, um, and I've, Peter Thiel is quickly becoming to me what Michael Burry is to you, like some sort of like sexual intellectual totem or something. Oh, I like, um, hey, I'm a Thiel fan as well. But, Burry, yeah, Burry yeah. consistently comes out with good shit, uh, and I'm all about that. Yeah, so. yeah. Something that like Peter Thiel has um, implemented, which I'm a huge fan of, is the, the Thiel Fellowship, uh, where yeah. he um, pays people under the age of 25 to drop out of their degrees, pays off your debts, and says, work on a project. Yeah. Like, figure something out. Like, obviously, you need to apply for this and you need to show your merits. Um, but he's like, choose a problem that you think is important and you have three years to either form a solution or a business which provides something of value to the world, um, which I think is, is so outstanding. Like, I mean, yeah, ultimately, like, the system's not going not gonna to help us. Um, so oh. people... And I mean, I, I say this after having made the ultimate mistake, you know, like... Um, Same, dude. It's not like... Yeah, it's not like I'm... I've, 
uh, figured it all out, you know. Um, we're just bag people, holders. Yeah, exactly. We're bag holders. <laughs> who have maybe come out better off than some bag holders. But yeah. um, you, people need to start figuring out alternative paths in blazing trails, unfortunately. And that's scary and challenging, but it's it's important, I think, that you back yourself. Well, what option do you fucking have, really? And that's kind of like exactly, the other point. Yeah. Is that, that's it. And then there's two kinds of bag holder as well. And I think no matter what, you have to differentiate them. There's like the, the lot that bought it, you know, that, that are in GME at fucking $400 a share and are uh, lamenting, you know, hedge fund run fucking conspiracies and other bullshit. And then it's the ones that fucking sold out because they bought into a scam and then they're taking the L. Take the fucking L. Like, you know, it's just... Don't polish your fucking resume. That's a, ugh, ugh, yeah. That guy should be tired and feathered. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, and walk through the street. So, with um, dude. Like, it, <laughs> the situation isn't only grim for, for those who are trying to enter the job market, mm. but for those who are in it at entry level positions, such as uh, Amazon warehouse workers, right. oh, the situation yeah, yeah, yeah. becomes more interesting and increasingly complex. So, um, I'm late to the party with this one, but I encountered an article that was published in April 2020. Um, and the reason I encountered this was because uh, the media has recently been paying attention to unionization efforts amongst Amazon employees in Alabama, mm -hmm. who um, have recently lost a union vote, but are now um, disputing the uh, the outcome of the vote uh, at a federal level. I, I forget the name of the organization that um, overseas labor issues nationally in the United States. But anyway, the case will be um, will be escalated. Um, so as I was, you know, browsing the internet with with this in mind, I came across this article, which shows that uh, Amazon and in their warehouses and in their Whole Foods grocery stores, um, use s software that tracks diversity and correlates diversity with the likelihood of unions being formed. So th these are from leaked internal memos yeah. that show um, the likelihood of unions being formed decreases as diversity increases. Um, and from like an evolutionary or social perspective, this makes sense because you are more likely to cooperate with people who you view as being in your in-group. So for example, and this has nothing to do with uh, discrimination or racism, but if, uh, say, a, a Korean guy is working in the warehouse, he's far more likely to form a social group and cooperate with 20 other Koreans than three Koreans, four Irish guys, three Italians, five African-Americans, and uh, a Brazilian. Because yeah. um, they just have so many more things in common already that it just makes sense for yeah. them to work together and to discuss issues of importance with one another. Um, so this, to me, was one of the most validating pieces of content I've come across in a really long time. Like it, it disgusts me, but to me, it proved that you and I are right about so many of the fucking things that we speculate towards on this podcast. Yeah. There are fucking corporate powers yeah. using diversity as a weapon for oppression. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> dude. But did you I, I, did you listen to the uh, to the diversity podcast? I mean, playlist that Spotify put out. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fine now. Yeah. I'm not mad about it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> There's some good tunes on there. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's yeah. Right. Um, well, and that's um, it. You have to be fucking suspect because, like, you know, I don't know where the fucking like corporate trust started building it. When I was growing up, it was like, yeah, of course, Coca-Cola um, was you know Fuck involved you with guerrilla warfare in fucking South America, you know, and killed people. Of course, they were. That's what they did. That's what companies do. They're, they're horrible people. Whereas now it's well, just like, oh, fucking. The, the diversity playlist by Spotify. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I can Jesus. tell you where, where this trust started coming in. It's when um, diversity marketing started to become something that you learn about in fucking university. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah so, actually, you know, like, what do you learn? I, yeah, I, I mean, you you get you get taught in in public relations and marketing. Like I I got taught this that it's important to uh, appeal to to minority groups and whatnot, and that they can sometimes be used as you know uh, strategic um, facets of a marketing campaign. Did which you know they are. That you can profit off Latinos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you put an obese black trans person in the poster for your underwear advertisement, like that's great for your company. Uh, you can make um, money. <laughs> God yeah. damn. Um, and and Jesus you just Christ. like the, the correlation here is so obvious because yeah. you have advertising money from these large companies pouring through media outlets whose editors understand that they need to be producing content uh, favorable to the agendas of these corporations. Otherwise, the advertising budgets dry up and everybody loses their jobs. Yep. Um, so there you go. There's your diversity. Put it in the <sighs> sandwich, fucking eat it. Go jerk off. Yeah, well, yeah. that's that's <laughs> fucking that bang, fucking a. That's uh, that's a um, bleak. Interestingly um, enough, the software aspect of it. Okay, so I was actually looking at that um, prior to this as well, and yeah. I had a article in my phone um, that Facebook and its big tech cronies are upgrading their anti-union tools. Uh, recently, Facebook unveiled its new Facebook Workplace, a Slack Connect like intranet-style chart and office collaboration tools that let administrators. <laughs> censor certain words company spokespeople explain such as you <laughs> that dirty word uh, you guys. it's racist it's a racist word it's, doesn't like lgbt people um <laughs> you know and yeah effectively these companies are actually unironically unironically they're not even doing it ironically this is like unironically building no there's not that they went to an anti-union software it's just just how many dollars are you cunts fucking saving by doing this? You know, like, like your profit margins are so big. Do you really have to fucking squeeze people out of this shit and instead flood them with, you know, more divisive crap to mm -hmm. um, split them apart? Um, well, interestingly, um, these sorts of tactics historically have uh, been kingmakers. So um, I, I didn't look into this as deeply as I would have liked to. I hope that I'll have the chance to over the next week. But so... Uh, individuals and groups ranging from Alexander the Great yep. to uh, wealthy Romans to slave owners mm. um, used diversity as a way to uh, control their subordinates as well. So yeah. um, w w when African slaves uh, arrived in the ports in, in the south yeah. uh, in the colonial times, slave owners or those... Um, ordained with the task of buying slaves on behalf of the slave owners mm. would intentionally... Uh, separate families and tribal groups and um, recruit individuals who had as little in common with the people around them as possible to keep them um, from revolting or cooperating with one another once they were in captivity. Um, mm. Alexander the Great uh, would construct his, his units in his army of um, individuals from diverse cultural ethnic backgrounds as well uh, to keep them separate from their kin um, in order to keep the army more obedient uh, and able to perform well, yeah. um, and Roman uh, Roman slave owners did something similar, um, as you can imagine. So distract, uh, confuse, and diversify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. So Powerful it's uh, you know Amazon is the Alexander the Great of the twenty first century. Uh, I'm sure Bezos looks at himself. Well, I mean, he kind of fucking is as well. You can't really deny yeah, that. Yeah, he is. Like he actually. I mean, is, he is Genghis fucking Khan. Like you know, only mm -hmm. without the. Uh, sexual um, virility and, mm. and strength and might of the 
of the um of and actually spe speaking of genghis khan speaking of genghis khan you just brought something else to my mind is that another technique that um alexander and genghis khan both used and i'd imagine that if you were to to look at uh conquerors throughout history you would find similar things is that yeah um like cultural appropriation and like the sort of artificial um watering down and amalgamation of several cultures into one is something that these uh, rulers and uh, conquerors use as a tool for producing or creating a complacent population. So yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, right. You, Damon just made the filthiest face on on the camera, just so you guys know. Yeah, um, gross. So yeah, so like um, Genghis Khan and his his heirs would, you know, uh, adopt chinese customs or persian customs yeah. as a way to uh soften themselves to their underlings uh once yeah. they had conquered their empire and you can i think you could easily say that you know the white corporate west mm -hmm. is doing the same thing now with um with ethnic identity or the identity of various minorities yeah um so the tuck had a reasonably good take on this that, <laughs> I, quite, that I quite enjoyed. <laughs> Can't cuck the tuck. Uh, was that um, he was talking about uh, Biden's cabinet was effectively like um, revered across um, revered celebrated yeah revered yep celebrated revered, revered. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, celebrated revered um, as one of the most diverse cabinets and everything. And he had a whole piece uh, that I thought was really good. Um, you know, but. Earned him, I don't know, another spot on the Hitler checklist, according to these, like, you know, droning fucking Twitter accounts that are, I don't think, run by real people, or if they are, then they're probably... They're just, like, the Chinese cloth. guys living in Guangzhou <laughs> in a fucking internet cafe. <laughs> they so are, right? That was another yeah, fucking, fucking Twitter conspiracy that I saw come out that, like, 99% of woke Twitter is just Chinese people fucking causing... That's mischief. so sick. Which yeah. I hope that is, and, like, power to them, man. If they're doing that, then they're such fucking legends, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. That, that's a cool thing to do, to bring I think so as well. Yeah, in an internet cafe in Guangzhou, but or wherever you are in China. Um, anyway, uh, the Tuck's entire point is effectively that there is no diversity outside of meaningless differences across these people, and they're all elites, and that's the fucking thing. Is that like yeah, economically, all these people are actually the fucking same because they're coming from the same backgrounds and the same sort of like, uh -huh. uh, you know, if you have like twenty fucking people from Harvard you know and uh they're all fucking um you know the same fucking background does it matter if one of them's gay like poop exactly be, 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 uh whatever um but Buttigieg. yeah, yeah. Is, is that really meaningful or like the fucking ceo of dow chemical you know um historically has poisoned huge amounts of fucking area and land and everything and has been uh the chief pushing force behind napalm and a bunch of other like atrocious chemicals um and this is again something this is a real rehash episode here. but uh you know it's all our, our thesis is coming to a, a beautiful crescendo in the sense that they release this article that they're like you know dow chemicals come far from its past they have a gay ceo now he's gay so get over it get over the death of <laughs> because he's gay so you can shut the fuck up you know and, and yeah it's Biden absolutely absurd they're all from harvard and they're all super wealthy and they've mm -hmm. all done really well for themselves yeah you know, but they're they black are, so shut up they are they're all it's molded awesome. by like the yeah. same institutions and they all have the same values mm -hmm. and yeah you're right there, there's very little diversity apart from the color of their skin which for some reason people want to fucking fixate on which is a racist uh -huh. 
thing that's racist. Exactly, it's, it's, it's fundamentally it's racist. Deeply, it's deeply fundamental. <laughs> yeah, like the the guy that I talked about in a previous episode, yeah. the uh, the African American astronaut yeah. who the New York Times did a profile piece on. Yeah. And they were like, hey, how does it feel to be the first black astronaut going to space? Yeah. And he said to them, like, oh, well, to be honest, I'm just concentrating on going to space. Like, I'm not really thinking about yeah. being black, but yeah, thanks yeah. for pointing it out. So when you wake up in the morning um, and you look at the mirror, do you ever think that you've done well despite the color of your skin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how does it feel to be black? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. We're really rooting for you as whites. You know, we think Yeah, you're it's really so good well, to see you doing things well. Despite your racial disposition. Yeah, how <laughs> fucking patronizing, man. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, so that's all fucking occurring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and um, there, yeah. there are meaningless differences at the end of the day. Um, I think if you're trying to address, like, specific minority groups who do come from trouble backgrounds and that's something that we're totally not even you know not, i'm not even fucking gonna gloss over is that's a legitimate issue that mm -hmm. there's unique problems within minority groups that are impoverished is the fucking key part that are disadvantaged from the get-go if you're barack obama's daughters right like you probably don't need a fucking leg up in life whereas like <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, exactly my own like my, my peeps my uh uh fucking island bros and everything not that i'm like super islander or whatever but uh face like unique issues that absolutely i would imagine um disenfranchised you know white people if we have to fucking do this uh there's probably more unique to them in their culture but that's not something that you would like you know it, it goes deeper than just sort of being like oh okay he's brown he's black you know it's fucking mm -hmm. that's good enough tick tick you know oh but he's yeah. poor <laughs> not in our yeah. cabinet <laughs> um yeah it it, uh, it comes down to um these i think it's geographic areas you know yeah. um where these people live that have just been abandoned for so long and like you and i like spent time in these neighborhoods man like i'm thinking i think oh. back in christchurch yeah exactly like the places I, I never lived like in the hood but was never far from it and you know like would would go there and my friends were there um and i went to school with people from like extremely impoverished backgrounds and like there are yeah i mean there are regardless of race it's like a socioeconomic thing yeah um, well and they can tell you a hell of a lot more than someone whose entire experience is harvard regardless of what fucking you know skin color they happen to have or uh who they like to fuck you know it's <laughs> just kind of like ah <laughs> uh, well um there's that's the, that's the real uniqueness i think is that is conveniently glossed over by um uh these like larger corporations and i've always had the sneaking suspicion that the moment um you know like the impoverished uh masses sort of start to get clue in that they're the same fucking person after all you know when we go back to that older school of dialogue where you know maybe the color of your skin is less important than your fucking background um that's when you could have a meaningful revolution of sorts because yeah, that's people getting shitty about the same fucking thing which is like you know they're deeply disempowered and everything uh-huh and that takes us back to the value of diversity as a weapon for oppression yeah so i want to see that I want let's to see call it there yeah all right yeah yeah fuck it yeah yeah um did you want to finish your last point sorry not really i mean well, my point being is that i just look forward to the day um if it ever arrives that uh you can see pissed off you know people of all backgrounds coming together mm -hmm. to um, yeah to get rid of these just 
fucking ridiculously oppressive software. Oh god, <laughs> these companies and all this all this nonsense and it gets thrown away. I mean, I don't, I don't know how long you can fucking fool people for because it's all bullshit, you know. And sooner mm-hmm. or later they're going to catch in that maybe Spotify doesn't have like uh, your best interests in mind. Yeah, just because they like got the latest fucking NWA, um, you know, not the latest NWA, but you know they got the, like. <laughs> celebrating black culture with dmx and um you know chris rock and uh nwa and biggie is perhaps not as meaningful as we think it is across the Absolutely. big companies <laughs> what <are> um, <laughs> well hey man we're we're cluing on don't worry yeah. don't don't underestimate your your power and knowledge yeah so neither should you dear listeners <laughs> thank you for listening to us again it's like it continues to astound me having people get in touch and mm. just say that, you know, they're enjoying what we're doing. And like, it, it's hard to overstate how grateful we are for that. So like, if, if you are listening and you're enjoying it and you're like, oh, fuck it. Like I thought about messaging these guys, but I'm not going to, cause why does it matter? It really does matter. Like it sounds so dumb, but I, it still stuns me anytime either in person or online, someone reaches out and just like has some kind words or even just says like, Hey man, I checked out the podcast. Like it, it's fucking outstanding. And it makes, yeah. makes us feel like we're doing some, some positive stuff. Um, so, so please, yeah, please don't hesitate. If you have criticisms, yeah. um, compliments, feedback, requests for topics you'd like us to talk about, or any of the likes, leads. Um, yeah, yeah, leads, juicy, juicy, dank leads. Yeah. Please tell us, because um, that means the world. Yeah. Um, so, um, if you want to support us as well, please go to Patreon forward slash Modern Guilt. You can uh, support us for five dollars per month. Um, and that will go towards us continuing to outsource our editing so that we can spend more time on research and producing more podcasts. So that'd be nice. Um, and in exchange for your <laughs> in exchange for your generosity, you'll get one bonus episode per month, which is like our strictly finance channel uh, where we talk about stocks that we're interested in and you know what what we're playing. Tied um, into the fucking greater greater shit that we're up. Anyway, yes, yeah, that's all good. Head us up. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, yeah. Do that. Um, follow us on social media uh, at Modern Guilt Pod on Instagram, guilt underscore modern on Twitter. Email us, modernguiltpod at gmail.com, and we'll leave it at that. Take care out there. Peace. Dig it to the man. Bye. All shows really nice. Thank you.